Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? God is good all the time. Some of y'all were here. All right, let me see if you're awake. Spirit check. Yeah, all right. When I say spirit check, you say praise the Lord. Spirit check. Spirit check. All right, this side alone. Spirit check. This side right here. Spirit check. This side right here. Spirit check. Spirit check. All right, y'all are up. Y'all are up. I'm um, super grateful to be with you guys uh, this morning and to open up uh, the Word of God uh, for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 31 through 32. And for today and tonight, and then tomorrow, we're going to be going back to Luke chapter 13, verse 31 and 32, and I'm going to do my best to kind of dissect uh, a couple things that I believe uh, will strengthen your spirit, strengthen your mind, and strengthen uh, your soul. So I would encourage you to meditate on this passage of Scripture, at least today and tomorrow. I want to remind us, uh, before I read this text, that we believe as Christians that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And so I want to remind us that we open up the Word uh, to submit to it. We, we open up the Word to be transformed by it. I want to remind us that every time we open up the Word of God, we open up the Word of God to be spiritually fed by it. For the scripture says in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man shall not live off of bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so I want to encourage you and maybe just remind you that there is a way you sit up underneath the teaching of God's word. There's a way. We believe that the Bible is the word of our King, our Lord, our God. And so every time we sit up underneath the Word of God, the teaching of God's Word, I would encourage you, we come with an engaged heart. We come with an open heart. We come with an open mind. And we come leaning in to the Word of God. Leaning in to the Word of God. I really believe that there's so much power in the Word of God that one Word of God can change your life forever. And so we come leaning in. Every time you, you sit up underneath the teaching of the Word of God, lean into it because you never know what God is going to tell you and breathe into your soul that can catapult you further into your destiny that God has for you. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Luke chapter 13, verse 31. Let me read this passage of Scripture, and then we'll get into our learning uh, this morning. The Word of the Lord reads, that at that time, some Pharisees, someone say Pharisees, Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place. Note that in your mind. If you have your Bible, underline that phrase. Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Look at verse 32. Jesus replied, 
This is a, one of the most radical statements by Jesus right here. Jesus replied, go tell that fox. Not foxy. Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, someone say third day. On the third day, I will reach my goal. How many know that Jesus had goals? Jesus had a goal. Y'all should have a goal too. Verse 33. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can dock outside of Jerusalem. Let us pray over God's word. Father, we open up your word to eat. We come before your table this morning and we ask that you feed us, Lord. Feed us strength, feed us faith, feed us understanding, feed us hope. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone says, amen. Y'all can talk back, just don't get crazy. Before we dive into this text for these next day and a half, uh, I want to remind us that the Bible is the story of two warring kingdoms. When you look throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you are going to notice that the Bible is the story of two overriding kingdoms. You have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Now, the kingdom of God is so vast it's so huge that no one definition can, can rightfully contain all that the kingdom of God has to offer. So when you study the ministry of Jesus, you'll learn he never gave one definition of the kingdom of God. He always said the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of God is like that, or the kingdom of God is like this. Because the kingdom of God is so vast, it's so deep, it's, it's inexhaustible, the kingdom of God. But... For the sake of our reflection this morning, I want to give you an insufficient definition of uh, the kingdom of God just to help you understand or put some handles on what I'm referring to when I mention the kingdom of God. And I want to let you know in advance it is insufficient because the kingdom of God is so vast, it's so big. But for the sake of our reflection, I would say that the kingdom of God is God's alternative civilization in the midst of a broken civilization ruled by his presence, his reign, and his order. I'm going to say that again, that the kingdom of God is God's alternative civilization in the midst of a broken civilization that is ruled by his presence, his his presence, his reign, and his order. It's an alternative civilization. So you remember when Jesus was before Pilate, he said, are you a king? And Jesus says, you said right, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's an alternative civilization. And our, our kingdom or God's kingdom is governed by his presence. We, we put the ultimate value on the presence of God, for in the presence of God is all we need for life and godliness. 
We also, we also say that the kingdom of God is about God's reign on this earth. It's about God's rule. So when, when we become born again, we submit unto the rule of Jesus. We, we bow our hearts unto a king. We, we, you and I, followers of Jesus Christ, ultimately we have a king that we follow, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his kingdom, there is a kingdom order. There is an order that God has for our life. There's an order that God has for the way we are to think. There's an order for the way that we are to behave. There's an order that God has for our marriages and our family. There's an order for the way that you should go to school. There's an order for the way that you should live. There is a divine order, a kingdom order that is spelled out in the Bible. And it is our job as followers of Jesus Christ to, to seek the order of God uh, in our life and submit to His order. There's nothing, nothing worse than a Christian in this world that lives his or her life out of order. Out of order. So, so the Bible is this story of, of two warring kingdoms, and, and God launched his kingdom in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 2, but then you remember we lost the kingdom because of sin in Genesis chapter 3. Because of sin, we lost this kingdom, but the good news is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he relaunched the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus relaunched the kingdom of God on earth. And when you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you see that Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. He demonstrated the kingdom, and he showed us what a kingdom person should live like. Are you, are you following along? So when we surrender... To the Lord Jesus Christ, we become citizen soldiers in the kingdom of God. For the Bible says in Colossians 1.13 in the New Living Translation, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And now that we are followers of Jesus, we are to live for the kingdom of God. We are to give our life for the kingdom of God. We are to pursue the kingdom agenda in this world until Jesus comes back for his church. And the hard thing is that Satan fights us from demonstrating the kingdom of God on earth. And when we read Luke chapter 13, the passage of scripture that I opened up with, I want to suggest to us in these next two days that what we're actually seeing is a confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. I want to suggest to us that Jesus had always been set on going to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Jesus was to fulfill prophecy through his death and resurrection. In fact, in Luke chapter 13, verse 22, it describes Jesus' kind of direction. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Note that phrase, as he made his way to Jerusalem. And so here, in Luke chapter 13, is an attempt to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem. I suggest is that it is a heated exchange between darkness and light. I suggest that the passage of scripture that we opened up with is actually a heated battle between light 
and, and darkness. And in these next two days, I want to kind of examine it. I, I want us to learn to see uh, what Jesus confronted. And I want us to learn to see how Jesus pressed on through the obstacles that he faced. Someone say press on. Someone say press on. Now, there are several things in life that as you go to pursue your God-given destiny, there are things that are going to come against you that are going to try to stop you and, and hinder you. And through this text, I see a couple things that I just want to bring out for our reflection and meditation this morning. The first thing that I would uh, say is that we need to press through the spirit of religion. We need to press through the spirit of religion. And I see this in verse 31. Listen to what it says. It says, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus. Someone say Pharisees. Pharisees. I, I want to remind you that, 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 that Pharisees were religious leaders. I want to remind you that at this particular time, because they were religious leaders, they were supposed to be trusted. They were supposed to be relied on. And I want to suggest to us that when you read this passage of Scripture, that you see this subtle attack on Jesus. Satan doesn't come in full costume to Jesus as he did when he faced him in the desert. No, he came in a sneaky way. And I want to suggest to us that here Satan uses the spirit of religion to try to hinder the kingdom agenda from being advanced through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. Some Pharisees came to Jesus. Pharisees were religious leaders that were supposed to be trusted. And the spirit of religion is hard to discern because it looks good on the outside. It looks good on the surface. So you might ask, what is the spirit of religion? Well, let me help you to kind of understand what the spirit of religion does. Listen to this. The spirit of religion is activity for God, but apart from God. Activity from God, but apart from God. The spirit of religion is serving God out of obligation rather than gratitude. Obligation rather than gratitude. The spirit of religion creeps in and it gets us to, to, to talk to God uh, more than we talk with God. We're always just talking to God and we have a list for God to do. And God, we want you to do this, we want you to do that, but we never have an exchange with God. The spirit of religion is putting work for God above worship of God. It is possible, friends, to serve God without having a relationship with Him. It's possible to go to church regularly without having a relationship with God. And I would suggest in our thinking this morning that the spirit of religion is probably the most sneakiest attack of the enemy on the born-again believer. You know why? Because it looks good on the surface. It feels good in the moment. But the sad thing is there's no power uh, to transform in it. There's no power to be transformed in it. I remember studying the book of Galatians, and 
In that book, Apostle Paul was battling the spirit of religion. And in that book, the word circumcised became a word to symbolize religion. And Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, listen to what he says. He says, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And that word circumcised became symbolic of the spirit of religion that was invading the church. And Paul was saying, if you slip into this spirit, Christ will have no profit in you. This is why... Satan wants us to operate in the spirit of religion because when religious activities replace a relationship with God, God's power is no longer experienced. Think about it for a second. How can one serve in the same church for 20 years and still not be deeply transformed? Think about that for a second, because you guys are starting your journey. You're starting your journey, and and I want you to think about this. How can one serve in one church for 20 years and still not be deeply transformed? I suggest it is because some of us slip into the spirit of religion, and the spirit of religion blocks the power of God from being fully experienced. So if you go to church because it's the religious thing to do, rather than because you are motivated to spend time worshiping God, learning about God, and experiencing more of God, then that is the spirit of religion. Let me help you understand a little bit more about this subtle attack. The religious spirit or religion says, I obey God because it makes me feel good. Relationship says, I obey God because I want to live pleasing to Him. Religion says, I have to serve God. I have to go to church. I have to be generous. I have to share the gospel. Relationship says, I get to serve God. I get to go to church. I get to go to college. I get to go to class. And the, and the reality is, my brothers and sisters, that through the course of your life serving the Lord, we all from time to time slip into the spirit of religion. So the issue is not whether you slip into the spirit of religion. The issue is how long will it take for you to catch yourself and snap out of it and reconnect to your relationship with God. That's the issue because the longer you serve Jesus, the more time you have to slip into the spirit of religion every now and then. I remember when I was in prison, and many of you heard my story, but I was arrested at the age of 16 years old for murder and attempted murder, and I was tried as an adult, and at the age of 17 years old in the Compton Courthouse, I was sentenced to life in prison, and as I was saying the last couple of days, I know how it feels to be a teenager stuck in a dark place, bombarded with hopelessness, and I remember at the age of 17 years old, I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I begin to serve God. I begin to read my Bible. I begin to worship the Lord. I begin to learn how to sing. I begin to learn how to serve. I begin to learn how to love. And I was on fire for God at the age of 17, 18, 19 years old. I was on fire for the Lord, serving the Lord in the midst of hyenas. And I remember they would tell me, Brian, you're never going to go home. Brian, you're never going to be a father. Brian, you're never going to be a husband. And I had to live with that bombardment in my mind. And I used to dream. 
I used to dream about one day, hopefully I would be released from prison so that I can go to church and worship the Lord on the front row. I used to dream, Lord, give me one chance to get out of prison so I can serve you in society, so that I can worship you in the midst of the congregation. I used to dream about the opportunity to come to church like you're going to church today. I was locked up in a one-man cell for years, sometimes didn't see the sun for months, and I used to dream about worshiping the Lord in society. I remember a couple years ago, our church began to grow we planted our church chapel of change about nine years ago, and our church began to grow. And all of a sudden, from one service, uh, we multiplied to five different campuses, and we had like eight services on a weekend. And I was preaching about six times, sometimes eight times a week. I was preaching about eight times a week. And I remember one morning, I woke up, and I lost sight. I lost sight of Jesus, and I woke up, and I said, man, i got to preach again this weekend. I got to preach again, man. I got to go on this. I got to go on the circuit. I'm about to preach eight times and it's hard. It's hard. I said, I, I lost sight. I said, man, I got to preach again. The Lord began to slap me upside my head. How I many you know sometimes God got to slap us upside the head? And I remember sitting there when I was talking about, I got. Uh, uh, I got to go to preach. I got to preach. I remember the Lord slapped me upside the head. Brian, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Don't you remember when you were in prison? Don't you remember when you're in that one-man cell for all them years and used to cry out to me to serve me in society? Used to cry out to me for one more chance to worship you in the midst of the congregation and praise your name. Don't you remember that? You ain't got to do nothing, Brian. You ain't got to do nothing. You get to serve me. You get to worship me. You get to preach my gospel. And I thank God that I shook it off and I got up. I said, thank you, Lord, for slapping me upside the head. The Bible says in Psalms 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. One of the most scariest scriptures in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, get this, this is a scary thing, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen to what he says. I never knew you. That speaks of relationship. That speaks of an intimate uh, relationship with God. So I want to encourage you this morning as you set out on your journey to serve God in this wicked and dark generation, whenever you catch yourself falling into the uh, spirit of religion, have God wake you up and may we live from the overflow of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not the spirit of religion. The last thing that I would bring out this morning is that we need to press through displacement. Someone say displacement. Listen to what verse 31b says. It says, Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place. Leave this place. 
Notice what they tried to do. They said, leave this place. Leave this place. Now, I've been serving the Lord for about 27 years now, and I've always heard it say that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, looking back in my 27 years of serving the Lord, I have learned, and it's just my conviction, I have learned that the devil doesn't come to kill you as much as he comes to displace you. He doesn't come to kill you as much as he comes to displace you. Now, now follow along because displacement speaks of moving you from where you're supposed to be. Moving you from where you're supposed to be. See, the enemy's goal is to displace you so that you do not fulfill your divine assignment in the time that you're living in right now. Move you from your place in the school, maybe. Move you from a class that you're supposed to be in. Maybe move you from church or move you from your place of prayer or, or move you from studying God's word. The, the enemy comes to displace us, to move us away from where we are supposed to be. Listen, they tried to push Jesus away. They told him, leave this place. Leave this place. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Be aware of distractions, diversions, and detours set out to displace you from where you're at. Be aware of distractions, diversions, and detours. I remember reading many years ago, a Korean Airlines was shot down by Russian uh, fighter jets. They, they found out when they studied what happened that when the Korean Airlines took off into the air, it was 0.5 degrees off course. It was such a small error that they didn't notice the error, but the more they flew out, the further they went off course until unknowingly they flew under over Russian territory and regretfully they got shot out of the air. When I thought of that story, uh, I, I, I thought that how that's the same way that the enemy comes to try to divert us and distract us inch by inch. That's the same way how he tries to displace us inch by inch. And it may start off with not reading your Bible in the morning. I've I, I, I got a busy day. I don't need to read my Bible this morning. Or it may start off by not praying. I've I, I got too many classes today. I don't need to pray in the morning. i got to rush off to, to, to class. Then it probably goes from not going to church. And then it probably goes to not serving the Lord. And then it probably goes to not living a holy lifestyle. And the next thing you know, you're not reading your Bible all the time. You're not praying all the time. You're not being faithful to God. And then next thing you know, it snowballs into something worse. Listen, a person gets into trouble when, when, when he or she is out of place. A person gets into trouble when he or she is out of place. You don't believe me? Ask King David. Ask King David. In 2 Samuel, David was supposed to be in the place of battle, but instead he stayed home. And listen to this. In 2 Samuel 11.1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. But get this. 
But David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. He was supposed to be out in battle. He was supposed to be out in college, but he decided to remain home. And you know the rest of the story, right? You know what he does next. He lies. He commits adultery. He commits murder. And the whole nation suffers. And you can follow it down to where he began to get out of alignment with God's will for his life. When I think about my story, uh, I didn't. I didn't just wake up one day and decide to kill somebody. You don't just wake up one day and say, oh, it's a good day to kill somebody. You don't, you don't do that unless you're a psychopath. No. When I look at my story, it all started off with the small detours in life, the small distractions like hanging around the wrong people, hanging around the wrong people like the small things like, like starting to smoke marijuana. I didn't even want to smoke weed, but I hung around people that smoke weed. And I always used to tell them, I'm not smoking, I'm not smoking. But after the thousandth time, I said, well, I might as well start smoking. I can trace down my problem to the day that, that my friend said, Brian, I got a gun at school and I got this great idea, this great stupid idea. I said, well, let me have the gun. And I took the gun because I wanted to show it off to my girlfriend. And I put the gun in my car and I drove to my girlfriend. I pulled up into her house. I said, look at this gun. And she got mad at me. I can trace down my problem to the day I was supposed to be in school. I was supposed to be in school. Instead, I skipped school and I picked up my friend. And I remember driving through the community, and I seen gang writing on the wall. And I said to him, well, let's spray paint on the wall and disrespect the gang rivals on the wall. That, and, and let's do that. That's nonviolent. So we got a can of spray paint, and we went back to spray paint on the wall. But the next thing you know, when we drove down the same street, we saw rival gang members on the street. And guess what led after that? Guess what unfolded after that? From after seeing them rival gang members on the street, the question was posed, should we shoot at them? Regretfully, I agreed. It didn't start off that way. It did not start off that way. You can trace it all the way back to the small distractions, detours that I allowed into my life. Small things eventually snowball into big things. Solomon says in chapter 2, verse 15, in Solomon, he says, it is the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. The little foxes. What are the little things that are distracting you? What are the little things that are taking you off course? Don't allow them to snowball. I want to call up the worship team this morning. And here's what I want us to do as the worship team sings a song. I want us, here's my prayer. And I'm going to encourage you to pray it as well. My prayer for us this morning is, Lord, help me to live from a vibrant relationship with you. That's the prayer. Lord, help me to live from a vibrant relationship with you. And here's this last prayer. Lord, help me to discern the detours and distractions that arise in my life. Give me discernment, Lord. 
Help me discern the detours and the distractions, the little things, Lord. Help me to identify the little things that if they, if they get out of hand, they're going to take me off course. So I would encourage us. Let us bow our heads. As the worship team sings this song, I want us to make those our prayer this morning. And then I'll come back up and dismiss with the blessing. Lord, help us to live from a vibrant relationship with you. Lord, help us to discern the distractions and the detours in our life. Let us worship the Lord.